If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Better with Dr. Erica, hosted by Dr. Erica, provides support and guidance in navigating stress-related challenges to transform your relationship to self-care. Each episode arms you with the tools needed to be better, do better, and live better. There was an incredible episode that you should check out called Touch and Connections as Tools for Healing and Better Mental Health. In this episode, her guest breaks down ways to use physical touch as a form of healing for trauma and grief. Check out Better with Dr. Erica on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to Highway to Health. I'm Jeremy Quinby. In this episode, I have a conversation with Rebecca Egbert. She's the founder of Little Mother's Helper. And yes, that is a Rolling Stones reference in case you were wondering. She began her health career as a midwife in the Midwest, Montana to be exact, then moved around a bit and now calls Minneapolis her home. One day while reading about an integrative clinic in Chicago that serves low-income populations, a clinic that had come up with their own system of tracking women in their first six months postpartum, she got an idea, a download as she calls it, to create a self-care kit for new mothers. What she created is Little Mother's Helper a card deck and app as a companion for mothers in the weeks and months following childbirth to help them understand the changes they are going through with their body, mind, relationships, and in many other profound ways. It is thoughtfully put together as resource, guidance, and support. A lot of time, energy, sweat, and tears went into this project, and I got a chance to speak with her about it here. We got to talk about our experience working with new mothers, especially in this crucial period of a new family's beginnings. We began our conversation with how she was able to get into health systems and get them on board because they felt the cards would also serve as a resource not just to their new mothers, but to the medical professionals serving them. cards in here talks about, and it's another card that like what I love again what I love about the opportunity of selling to a hospital system within months of this not even being produced yet you know like it was just we had got it funded on Kickstarter was having the conversations of like what their physicians know to talk about yeah. and what they don't know to talk about so the the majority of physicians don't know that um, or don't feel like there's enough evidence to back up um, that thyroid disorder, postpartum thyroiditis, these that leads into Hashimoto's and all mm -hmm. these kind of autoimmune disorders, that those are things that show up, but they get untreated. It's almost like a lot of postpartum depression doesn't go treated. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and so how easy it is to, how easy it would be to help women out, especially postpartum, um, with a, with a really, it's it's challenging at first the diet that you have to do to kind of relax your certain central nervous system but um and sorry if i geek out but yeah um it's, I'm, but I'm if they once once they if once they got onto this diet they wouldn't it would be easy for them to practice even if it was for their first year postpartum yeah. and it was sort of like a if you do this you will feel better if yeah. you do this you will um, have less stress. If you do this, your anxiety levels will drop dramatically. If you, you know, like, and, and, and really all you're going to be doing is eliminating these things. And as you 
as you age and mature as a new mom or as this mom in this first year, if you have other children, when you're, you know, this many months out, it just would be too controlled for our uh, culture. I think, you know, it's, it's, uh, might be more similar to the way maybe some Asian cultures do postpartum health and really focus on diet and stuff. So anyways, I did 10 days of cleaning up myself because I was feeling, I was feeling all of the stress from my 2016, which is a really like kind of hockey puck year and doing a lot of business development and stuff like that. And, um, and I had done a cleanse last year, but I didn't give up coffee. You know, it was like that one thing where I was like, it's that one thing that holds me. And I remember at a point last year, I was doing like one medium level strength of coffee. But by the time I started this thing last month, I was doing like, basically I was trying to figure it out yesterday, but I think I was doing like four shots of espresso a day, which is a lot for my little body. And, um, it just started to catch up with me. And so, um, once I got off of it, it took me five days to actually feel free of pain which was a lot longer than it used to be. And, um, and then the first cup I drank, which was only like a scoop compared to four scoops, you know, like even 10 days before my body just like freaked my, it just flushed. So of course I'm like, get on the Google machine (laughs) and Google, you know, does coffee. Why does, why does, why does coffee make you sweat? No, I mean, I was like, everywhere sweating yeah, yeah. pit stains like yep. i've got on instagram stories i was like look at my armpits you know this <laughs> is like i have no shame and um and and it just made me think like and then i got into the wormhole and found the central nervous system stuff and um just think that it's not yet ready and i'm not evolved enough in my knowledge of the cns in that way where how can we start talking to women and moms, but in partners? I think that yeah. like about um, what goes on with that system in a postpartum woman and how do we help her? It's, it's great because the, so many times I get the, the, you know, the, the mother comes in. I, I, now I'm getting the dads to come in more. I, I'm pushing it right away because I've noticed that when I'm dealing with, with kids, babies, you know, usually within, you know, the first two months who are, having latch issues, have torticollis, have digestive issues. There's something about everything there in, in general that's very sort of sympathetic fight or flight response. Right. And we discount as a culture what babies are going through in this situation because as parents, we're going through such a rough patch once we've had the child. Right, right, right. <laughs> and our whole life has changed and they're not, you know, we're, we feel like we're failing every day. But the, the mothers bear, bear the weight of that yeah. more than the fathers do. The fathers bear a different kind of weight, which I'm, you know, yeah. I I was I definitely was a little bit more the working parent during that time, but I was able to come home in the middle of the day on lunches yeah. and take get breaks. So I think my wife had a little bit more of a break in there, but mm-hmm. I just see it where you know the dads feel the responsibility of needing to get to work, support mm-hmm. their family, mm-hmm. and you know be that thing, but they don't really understand what it's like to be at home twenty four seven with a with a newborn. No. And, and then once you have a, once you have a nursing challenge mixed in with this and the mom does have to sometimes start, if they're working with a lactation consultant, they have to start cutting back on all the acidic foods, coffee goes, tomatoes, and then usually, usually dairy. Yep. So our crutches. Yeah. And and, (laughs) I mean, our crutches are like so comforting. I love them. And I've done some resource workshops with expecting parents with another lactation consultant, uh, 
who's also a PT and, and we've, we've tried to, you know, give people more information ahead of time. Yeah. Sort of like, yeah. this is, you know, th- this is what your resource network looks like. Yeah. These are who the people in the hospital are going to be. Yeah. These are the potential challenges without getting too, you know, yeah. s- scary about everything. But yeah. it's just start, starting to get them prepped for, I mean, you can never prepare for having a child, I can tell you. <laughs> but th- there are certain things, you know, that I think now, now a lot of what I do when I get, when I get new parents in is I give them timelines. Yeah. Like right away, I start to let them know, like, you know, oh, baby's been sleeping really great, but just not feeding or whatever. And let them know that, that there's going to be a point where the baby probably will sleep you know, mm-hmm. smaller stretches once they do start feeding because they're going to need more food because they're growing and yeah. go through this whole thing. But that also somewhere around week three or four, the digestive stuff's going to kick in and it's mostly gas. They're starting to wick more nutrient and they're, they're just, it's just a hard process to get through and they don't quite know how to get that moving in their body yet. The smooth muscles and their di- digestive tract aren't working yet. Mm-hmm. That's all developing. And, you know, just all the struggles compiled to a baby just, you know, feeling out of sorts. They just don't feel good. Twice in the last two weeks I've sent um, uh, this video that, I mean, it's it's not a great pretty video or anything, but it's a woman on, you know, or on YouTube who is doing the diaphragmatic release for three-week-old babies because of that. And I, I had so much interaction with my babies and patients postpartum that I could do that for them when they came into clinic. But mm. now I don't do that. And so it's like, I'm sending people this and, and moms are doing it, but it's again, another thing where you go into not a lot of pediatricians just have time to like, know that kind of stuff. That's yeah. where we can come in and introduce that, whether it's that this gets like when in hospitals give it out, they give it out at 32 weeks. A lot of people buy it as a gift but um, with this whole pediatric potential side to it, um, pediatricians will be giving it. So it just it's like it's it's uh, sending little doses of knowledge and awareness in new ways to people, which is I think really important. But then also empowering from what I'm gathering from you to dads to be able to have that information too. And I, I think that's a big part of it is they they kind of end up not getting resourced and they feel like they're on the outside of all yeah. this stuff. And they start coming in with their like psych 101 from college, <laughs> trying to figure out the, the problem, you know? Yeah. And, and I actually think it would be great in a way to like mix in a few cards for dad mm-hmm. would be, mm-hmm. it would be great. I always <laughs> wanted to do a dad deck. I've had a lot of, uh, I have a collective of great men in my life, but to pull them all in, I think we talked about this, but to yeah. really sit together and do that, uh, because it's different information and, and, or I should just say partner deck because it's so diverse yeah, at this that point. Yeah, way to do it actually and just uh because we know that partners are reading this and it's informative in that way especially when it comes to the mental health section but most of it is totally geared the the mental health and then the heart section because it's all about we teach things about delegating and like doing all that kind of stuff early because it does have to do with like your development it's and and again i just think that there's so many ways to relate and we're still so young with neuroscience research that um just like whatever we can take and apply is, is is helpful and and I see even with with the the new parent dynamic it's you know these are sometimes these are people who've been together for some period of time yeah. you know too and you add you add a baby in and the, and the new dynamic hasn't been figured out yet but the ecosystem is already there you know this new ecosystem in the home and starting to get them to understand that 
they all need to understand what's going on with with everybody. And, and then you add a, maybe a care provider or a grandparent or somebody in the mix too. And I feel like they also need to sort of understand what the, the whole mm-hmm. thing is. So I, 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 I always kind of stay on the education side of things and just thinking, what else do these in resource, what, what else do these people need to understand mm-hmm. to make them less anxious, to help them feel better? And then sometimes, you know, do they actually need to go get their thyroid tested or, you know, I, I feel like that would be a huge part. And I don't, I don't know what's happening in, in midwifery now. I, some of the people that I've worked with in the past, though, I've tried getting them to to have like something built in that, that allows them some sort of like functional medicine assessment, me, mm-hmm. you know, maybe some acupuncture that they can sometimes build into their billing because of insurance that that's one way that you can kind of get away with it. But, and it should really just be part of the process in our system in general. It yeah. would save so much money, but it's not, it's not about that. Well, it's two huge governing bodies that have to change their way of thinking and, you know, ACOG for one, and then um, the American college of pediatrics. So the, they both have to think, start thinking differently and, and, you know, not to steal Steve jobs, iconic quote, but like, you know, really it is, uh, we have to have kind of that little mini revolution within providers. And that's what I hope things like this podcast can do is get people that really, what I know from, because my world really always has been a collaborative world. So it's not just midwifery. It was very much like me meeting OBs and DOs and, Mm -hmm. you know, and family and family practice doctors and really saying, how do we, because Canada had such great results in other countries that use collaborative care, how do we come together and work to provide the best system. I'm curious to get back to like your beginnings with, with, with midwifery because for listeners, I think it's, it, you, you've, you've developed what you're developing now and probably will be involved in for a long time yeah. from that, that experience, I'm yeah. guessing. Mm-hmm. Um, so my path started, I would, well, I mean, path, whatever. Um, <laughs> but really, Words. I know, right. I'm a trail runner, so I get on paths quite frequently <laughs> and, um, Let's see. I really, my, it, it is a long story. I can't believe that I've committed to it, but that's sort of how my brain works when I see something and I want to do it. I focus on it. I, and I'm there with it takes you. It's a long time. Um, and so when I was, my grandfather died really early. He was a family practice doc in rural Iowa and he did everything, you know, and when he passed away, I remember hanging up the phone in the middle school hallway and just saying to myself, I want to be a doctor when I grow up because mm. I would like to honor him. Yep. I, I think it was more about, I loved rolling around on his little rolly chair and I yeah. loved his stethoscope and I loved like the things that were in his office. Cause he not only had a clinic in, you know, a sh- place downtown, Fort Dodge, Iowa, but he also had, um, a home visit office. And so that's where, you know, I think I heard plenty of stories. I don't remember any of them anymore. Um, but then I thought, you know, there's many things I thought I wanted to do between then and starting to become a midwife. Um, I went to my first birth in 2003 out in Viroqua, Wisconsin, and it was a total hippy dippy home birth out in the middle of nowhere, you know, where if we would have had an emergency, we would have had to pass the, who is it? Man? No, it's the Amish culture that lives out oh, there yeah. and some horses and some buggies and stuff like that. So it's classic. And, um, and, and then 
the midwife that was at that birth at that time was already thinking, I think I had already done a doula training in 2000. Um, so I was kind of getting into it and, um, but, uh, she said she was a CNM certified nurse midwife. And I said to her, you know, which, which way should I go? Cause there's two paths in the United States to become a midwife. And it's the only country that has two paths. Everyone else has your registered midwife and that's it. Yeah. Um, so there's a certified nurse midwife and a certified professional midwife. And at the time she just said, you know, where do you want to live? And I said, I want to live in Montana. And she said, um, or I would think actually I was living in Montana. And, um, she said, well, you have really great laws out there and they're really strict and they're really good about, um, like licensing and regulation. Mm-hmm. So if, if you want to practice as, as a certified professional midwife, you should do that. I said, okay. So I, Started on that path. And, um, and so for, I, so I doula from 2000, you know, I still once in a while pick up a doula client just because if it's a friend or whatever, because yeah. I'm good at it. And, um, but my first birth was probably in 2000. The first midwifery birth I was at, I guess, was in 2003. I went to, I applied for school in 2005 and that, um, I wonder what, I don't remember why, but I remember coming, like not going right away. <laughs> and then, um, when they, the school called me back like a year later and said, do you want to come? Like, is it time yet? <laughs> and I yeah. was like, okay. Um, and I think I was having a little too much fun delaying my, um, growing up phase, like trail running and skiing and living in yeah. Montana and just finding, fi- finally finding comfort in being in one place. Yeah. I'm very gypsy like at the earlier in life maybe still thinks now, (laughs) but uh, like I've got a Cajun gypsy soul by nature. Um, I understand. Yeah. And, um, so anyways, then let's see. So then I went to school and I started in 2007 graduate. No, that's not true. 2005. I can't even get my clock right anymore. This is what happens. There's a lot of things that stall me. How did this do? 2003, 2005, I started 2008. I graduated that. And so, um, yeah. So that's where that was that path as far as like getting into midwifery. It was not a calling. It wasn't because I pushed my own babies out. It was literally like I believe that women need to have access to maternity care and quality safe care. And um, wherever they live and in Montana, there's most of the state is rural. And if women... Most women will travel more than two hours to get to a, care, a prenatal provider. And that that is... Um, um, What's the word I'm looking for? Um, and my brain is like it's, it's a it's well it's a healthcare disparity because they are like they're limited access to right, care. Gotcha. You know, like that's okay. what, like I'm trying to think of distance and why it, yeah. it, like it holds them back from going to get care. Yeah, yeah. And so like even in certain parts of rural Montana, there will be an old school nurse who never got her midwifery training, but because she delivered babies in our, like L and D, she will deliver all the babies in the community yeah. with out of light, you know, like with, with her nursing license, yeah. but nobody will talk about it. And if something, a complication happens, like they'll just call the emergency, you know, the, the ambulance and the ambulance. We will. got the most qualified person yeah. we could. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so, it's still, it's still going on in medicine is. really. I mean, in fact, it's, it's almost happening more. I just, I did a podcast just recently with, um, a woman who's starting a, a mobile service here in Minneapolis. Um, so she's the first business that's been licensed as a physician assistant to go do this. Nice. <clears throat> so it's, it's basically like NPs, you right. know, and, and now the PAs are going to basically take, you know, fill in the gaps where the primary care is yeah. missing because yeah. it's, there's huge gaps. So in, in rural areas and my friend Aaron, who you'll meet at some point yeah. is in rural Northern California yeah. and there, he's just stepped in as the only doctor in the hospital yeah. that they've had, haven't had a doctor there for a long time. True. And he's trying to help develop the telemedical stuff yeah. for that rural area, which is, I think it's going to change things going back to like what your grandfather used to do. Yeah. 
for people to actually have someone that they can connect with yeah. on video, you know, in, in, uh, within 24 hours for yeah. sure, without having to make that long drive and to develop a relationship with this person. I think it's going to be the way things are going to go. And we haven't quite seen it yet in tech with the quality of care delivery no. model. We're really working on speed still, yeah. but I think it's, you know, with, well, it's with what them, everyone's shoving down our throats. Yeah. Yeah. Speed. And it's the, and it's the, there's, there's money to be made there and people yep. are, we go on, go on yeah. for hours about that, but, but so, so you started your, you started your practice in Montana. Montana. Yeah. I was invited to join a couple of practices while I was still in midwifery school and, um, and, but Montana has my heart and I wanted to go home and cause I had to move for, so we had to have a hundred births to graduate from midwifery school. Yeah. I graduated with something like 2200 clinical hours and you know, everyone, it just was insane really how much time I was sp- how much time I spent in labor myself yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like in that you know I think it was like 720 hours in labor yeah. cuz midwifery births are different than yeah. OB births um and uh so I went back to Montana I was supposed to join a group practice the group practice fell apart like kind of as I walked home so and my dad was dying at the time so I um got back to Montana unloaded my stuff um said cool, you guys are not going to work together as a midwifery practice and I'm going to go home and and help my dad die more or less. I'm going to midwife my dad through this next phase of his life. And, um, and that's what I did. So I guess I got, yeah. So, and, and then I started, he died in about, um, like four months later. And then once we got everything settled at home in, with my mom, then I went back out there and started practicing. I had okay. a couple clients that came to me, but that, like literally as he was dying and I just said, this is where I'm at. You're yeah. not going to get any yeah. prenatal care. So you can go get prenatal care somewhere else until this date, but I am not coming back yeah. until this date. So you can, you know, feel free to ask somebody else, yeah. <laughs> you know? So, um, and then it was, it, you know, grief is a funny thing and kind of a hard thing, very hard thing. Um, but to have midwifery to fall into that and also kind of that level of responsibility at, I think I was 33. I just turned 33, like a week before my dad died. And, um, so to have that focus was incredibly healing and and strangely disorienting as well because of the way grief works and how long it takes to heal. And when you then, well, it's like you have babies with people having babies because you just get sleep deprived with them. And so it was sneaky. And, um, but it was a it was a good um, way to avoid. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Feeling all my feelings and and also just being part of, I mean, really, there was no break between. I had a a whole decade where there was very little break between death and life. And yeah. my best friend says to me all the time, "The yeah. universe isn't subtle with you, Buck." Yeah. And because uh, my friends call me Buck, <laughs> and um and I'm like, no, never. Like it just is pretty loud and screaming at me all the time. Yeah. But maybe better that way sometimes. I guess. I, my my I mean the my beginning in this career was back pain. Yeah. That was that was my body was screaming at me. Yeah. And it was based on lots of things going on in my life at the time. You know, you could say it's it's purely physiological, but like the cards. Yeah. You know, yeah. there were there were different components to what was going on and True. it took me a while to kind of get through the deck. Yeah. <laughs> figure out what was going on. Yeah. This is a so, lifelong deck, even though it's like designed for yeah. the postpartum period. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that was the midwifery part of my career. And then what happened, there was more hiccups. And, um, I, and then I, the way I got back into Minneapolis was I, I mean, such a, I'm such a 
I'm like, oh God, I was such a loose cannon. But uh, I left for a PhD program and I got out there and it was another thing where, and also to join a birth center out in Oregon and that fell apart within six weeks. Again, the universe is subtle and I applied for a job at a birth center here in Minneapolis and St. Paul and got it really quickly and I just packed the U-Haul back up and... Okay. Drove from Oregon because I could have gone back to Montana and started it again, but I wanted something bigger. And and so here I am now, four and a half, five years later, and the something bigger is definitely unfolded and presented itself. But um, I, yeah, I love midwifery and I love the, the practice of it. And I love the, but I really love it when you collaborate well with other providers yeah. and really make these systems where it impacts your clients' lives in a way that it changes the way they think and um and and live their lives it's and really and cool. it, and i think that's it's one of the things i i think that we get to do in a in a more independent forum or working in these small collaborative groups we really get to be so you know present for the the successes and the failures you know they they happen sometimes but i feel like the the support of having people around you in this in in this these challenging situations makes you grow so quickly yeah and I feel like the, in these big health systems that what I, what I see and what I hear from other doctors is that they're just struggling to feel successful on a day-to-day basis. And that is why, you know, doctors are now the high, highest suicide rate, I think, because they're just not getting that sense of, of success. And, and, you know, part of the podcast for me and part of the projects that I've been involved in the last couple of years have been about looking at both sides and seeing how we can, you know, sort of heal on, on both ends. I, th- I think both sides need to, need to have, the support, the relationship dynamic needs to change, and and then the access to actually do the right things together. And those those are the things that I think people need to hear on this podcast from the guests. Ways that we can change and start pushing it from a it's 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 definitely a grassroots thing, but it's it's on the fringes all the time. Even when I moved back to Minneapolis, one of my clients in Brooklyn, um, <clears throat> who I had, she's older, and I had helped her with fibromyalgia with another PT basically got her off of all the, the heavy steroidal stuff. And she was like, so thankful when she heard I was moving to Minneapolis, she heard from somebody else actually, cause I wasn't really treating her that much anymore. Um, she, she called me and, and, and connected me to her cousin, who's the CEO of children's hospital here in Minneapolis that he's not, he's no longer the CEO, but immediately got in there, started having conversations and meetings with people. And I was there for three different visits and, it just started to become more and more apparent that the first meeting was like, everyone was excited I was here. I had way more experience than anybody treating babies and with doing craniosacral work. I had way more experience in lactation and all these different things. And yet they had one person who was the head of the integrative health division. Her office was 50 miles away in Wisconsin and she was there one day a week and they had brochures for integrative health and all this stuff was going on. And I thought, and, and, you know, I, and I, at the same time, I felt bad for the, the directors and heads of things there because their hands were tied. There was just no funding. They, they knew the process was too long to go through. They're too busy. Yeah. And, you know, I even said, I'll, I'll, I'll come in and, you know, fill in, throw in whatever volunteer time I can do. And they said, you know, best we can do is refer to you. That's kind of where we're at still. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, when it comes to what I've been, what my, I mean, my major advocacy work and, and I've had to think about this in many different, from many different perspectives, but will always be, I love working with women and women and like specifically maternal health. Um, I love watching women go from, be, you know, being a woman without children to 
having a, becoming a mother, but really it is about women's health. And it's that thing where in the healthcare system, and I talk about it very freely on like my Instagram account and in all my social media accounts, at least like where like story using these, you know, the tools we have right now, like stories and stuff like that to yeah. just con- connect with their communities and talk about how, I, I, you know, two handfuls of times last year, I had those meetings with hospitals, huge hospitals. I mean, we're talking about New York City hospitals, L.A. hospitals, all that kind of stuff. And they would say to me, maternal health is a lost leader. It's, it has been in our healthcare systems. And yet places like Target, their number one thing that they pay for is for C-sections and for birth and yeah. pregnancy. So yeah. as, as an employer, as a massive employer, you know, so it's like it, there is there's so it is it is truly like uh, being in a canyon. You know, it's like constant ups and downs and um and it, it is challenging as the providers and the people who um, are seeing improvements from the practices or the work that we're doing yeah. um, and trying to convince um, these larger systems how a little tweak. So there is a great um, um, book called The Upside of Stress. And I always get her name wrong, so I'm not going to botch it right now. But anyways, in it, she her kind of her motto is little tweaks lead to big changes. And mm-hmm. it's that a little tweak. That's all yeah. we need is are these little tweaks and little, little mother's helper, at least for the maternity care side of life has become a little tweak in the yeah. healthcare systems. And we're finally starting to see the ripple go, you know, at first it felt like the ripple wasn't going to ripple. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and as I an love that. that comes. I, I love that. I, 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 it's a big part of my practice is for 10, about 10, the first 10 years of my practice, I mostly worked with chronic pain, mostly back pain, but yeah. a lot, a lot of stuff. And Really just starting to get people to to believe that if we could create a 10% change, Mm -hmm. you know, if we could, if we could reduce pain 10% and, you know, basically make that much of a change in their system in the way that they're sort of organizing neurologically, that, that, that effect basically starts to unravel the, what's, what's been going on. And, but that first 10% can sometimes be the hardest part and that, you know, Give it this amount of time. I would. I'm always. I'm always big on timelines because I want to have measurable, you know, goals and outcomes. But oftentimes they would. You could just see it in their face. Like, yes, I can. I can see that. If I was. If I felt fifty percent better, then you know, by getting this small change to happen, I'm there. Tell me what to do. Yep. So. Yep. The tweaks. The little tweaks. So, so what gave you the idea for, for a little mother's helper? Well, so I left, um, I left my last practice of midwifery when I did the math and realized that I was making $2 and 90 cents per hour without health benefits. <laughs> <laughs> and I was working 90 hours a week. <clears throat> yeah. And, um, I was raised by entrepreneurs and always had side projects. You asked me like what my first job was and I was like babysitting and what did I say? Mowing lawns. Mowing lawns. I loved the mowing the lawns. Anyways, um, and so, I did that too. <laughs> so it was my favorite because I got to use the machines. Um, and so I took an in-between job at the medical school cause I thought, well, how am I going to, I was obsessed with impacting the, and advocating for the improvement of maternal health in the U S because it was, so I did a thesis in midwifery school called the greening of birth, how collaborative care can improve maternal health in the United States using models from, you know, from, um, 
New Zealand, Australia, Canada, and the Netherlands. And, um, and then also taking, looking at the pharmaceutical companies and seeing how they were like the destruction that kind of goes on when it comes to dumping chemicals and drugs into the rivers and all that kind of stuff. So really looking at the ecosystem of birth and how it impacts women and how it could, how a small hospital or a big hospital could impact a woman's life ultimately. Um, and so that, that kind of set a whole queue of core beliefs for me and then, um, of advocating for maternal health improvement. And also at the same time when I was in midwifery school, it was the first time I had the awareness that more moms die in our country than they do in most, um, countries around the world. And that were one of, were the, the of, of the, like the top 13 where women die frequently. We're the only one with a rising mater- maternal mortality rate when yeah. we have, we spend the most money yeah. on women and, and during maternity care. So pregnancy, birth and postpartum. Um, so, um, I took a job at the medical school thinking that becoming an MD MPH would be the way that I could do it. Yeah. And while I was there, I guess, you know, I love, I loved practicing midwifery. So to go from practicing midwifery and being a very active body to sitting at a desk yeah, for eight hours a day in curriculum, which was probably like a, again, a divine placement <laughs> because I was like, Ooh, I get to see how dysfunctional the curriculum side of medical yeah. school is right now. Yeah. And because education is actually my first degree and, um, experiential education at that and, um, and sat there and, you know, I am a, fast worker and fast mind. So I could get my required job skills done in 15 minutes. And then I would have eight, you know, eight hours and 45 minutes left (laughs) of the day to fuck around, you know? And my sister, I remember, I won't forget, like, I remember things like this and she and I were talking on the phone one day and she's like, it's like, start something. She's like, you are, you like, you, you have so many tools inside of yourself. And she was sort of a new mom at the time. So she's like, there is some, there's so much missing, start something. And so I started market researching is what I did. And, um, I, I started understanding how to have an online business, started to understand, like, maybe I could just do this consulting or coaching thing and like Mm -hmm. do kind of what was like, use these tools that are out there on the internet and teach myself and follow these leaders that are entrepreneurs or, you know, have had huge successes with tech companies or marketing companies or all these kind of things. And, and just, um, started teaching myself and, um, and started, I think the market research though, just like really getting access. Basically I started using Instagram and Facebook and then also started building a newsletter list. And when I had questions, I would just like write notes out and people would respond because I try to approach it in a very human way. And, um, I started understanding what women wanted versus what their providers were giving them. Yeah. Currently, I'll have an asterisk here or asterisk here and yeah. say that um, UNC, the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, is doing a postpartum project that is studying just that. And I think their first um, results from the few months of research that they had done were inconclusive because they couldn't <laughs> figure it out, which I just love, like how people don't understand how to just talk to people yeah, and market right. And that's a marketing skill. Anyways, and so um, this is a long story I'm telling you. Um, so... Uh, in, in my boredom, I got excited about starting this thing and I started a business and I started getting clients and I started doing like webinars and I started teaching again and like started feeling like jazzed up again, getting all my work done and yeah. like being there for students. And that's another thing as somebody who has gone through midwifery school and was pissed off at my administration half the time. Like I just wanted to create a space within the medical school where people felt heard as students yeah. and they are young adults. They were using social media faster than any of the administration at the university of Minnesota medical mm. school. And, and they couldn't That's catch a brilliant up. idea. It was fun. 
And I was like, can we start a blog for these people? I'm like, yeah. give me this money, send me to this course. And they were like, mm, nah, not so much. I'm like, you just missed out on your whole audience. Like yeah. you're, they are your audience, you know? Anyways, they're going to keep becoming doctors, but you could have the impact to change their lives while they're in school, not yeah. just give them yeah. a job, you know? And, um, so I started that program. So then, um, I realized that I'm fast enough in my head that when I finally take a break like Christmas time or like somebody had, so I did a lot of networking the first year I quit my job. I got enough clients, like did that kind of thing, quit my job, which was a little bit more risky. I would never. T- <laughs> more, more, more clients. Do- more clients delivery? Can, nope. Oh, I was just doing just consulting. this. Yeah. And the coaching thing. And so, um, I had enough clients that I felt like I could quit my job, but I probably did that a little prematurely, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I was not smart. I don't give uh, my advice as, entrepre- as an entrepreneur. I know I I I, I get in, I get I get ahead with my thought first. Yeah, but sometimes there's there's only one way to do that stuff, which is to jump ship and figure it out. I guess. I guess. I had some more trauma in there with an, another death that like was really impactful to my life. And again, I think that the grief thing made me just be like fuck the world. I'm quitting, yeah, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, I mean, really, cause it was right around his death that I made the decision that I'm going to hustle as hard as I can so I can quit this. Cause I'm miserable yeah. doing this day to day. Um, and, uh, that's a very motivating force for, I mean, a lot of people and I, and I see it, I'm hearing because I I've been a mentor to a lot of people starting their, their private practices, which is also part of <clears throat> the software stuff that I've been involved in, but I'm hoping for it to be part of the podcast as well to to, to realize that you know maybe if if these health systems aren't always doing the 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 kinds of work that that's needed, and there are people outside of that or or looking to get outside of it, the health systems will serve their purpose, and these these people who re- are like you and I who just want to like. We're 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 thinking about things a little bit more in a different way. We need to be outside of there. We need to be, you know, building things. Yeah. Well, it's <laughs> why once, every, once we understand things better. Yeah, it's why every health. So why every United Health Group? Why Optum? Why you know like why why United Health Group has Optum? Why Optum has exactly, Rally? Exactly. Exactly. Um, everyone, if we can get the hospitals, so those are health systems. I learned, right. you know, not just hospitals. Um, everyone gets somebody. Every one of these places thinking like an entrepreneur, especially yes. these ones that have Cedar Sinai. So you know, like Mount Sinai, like these names that people know about, no matter where you live, Mayo Clinic, like whatever it is. If they can have a team within each of those bodies thinking like entrepreneurs and hiring yeah. entrepreneurs yes. and MBA students that are entrepreneurial, then they are going to start um, putting money in different places, but there's still so much um, sticky stickiness in yeah. between there. You know what I'm saying? Like there, yeah. it's like fibromyalgia within the system. <laughs> so, and, and, and I don't, and I don't and mean to like no, blame, blame, the, blame the health systems. I, I just, I, I know because I've, I've yeah. known plenty of people who have worked in them, the, the red tape that's part of insurance and policy and all yeah. these things that just become, it's, it's, it seems insurmountable sometimes to actually, actually change things within them. Yeah. And, you know, I, but I, 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 that's part of this conversation is that maybe, you know, maybe we're just not looking at things collectively as well as we could. Yeah. 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 <laughs> anyway. I agree. Um, so with that, with like the, where little mother's helper came in was, um, in December of 2015, I was on an airplane to Colorado for Christmas. That's where we spend our Christmases. And I had received a mound of research from my friend's dad, who is uh, was a psychologist down in Alabama. 
And it was all on postpartum maternal health and depression. And I was just reading through this really cool little study in Chicago that is was about um, a low-income clinic that really practiced integratively and collectively. And when women came to them for prenatal care, they tracked them not only through their pregnancy, but out until I think maybe six months postpartum. Mm. And they and they made a new system postpartum versus what ACOG tells providers to do and what okay. most hospitals practice. And so these women were seen repetitively because they were at risk, right, yeah. as a low-income population. And then also populations of, co- of color and different demographics. And, um, and again, sometimes I have to stop myself because I don't know if I'm saying the politically correct thing, but I'm, that's what just came out of my mouth, so I apologize if I've offended anyone. <laughs> <laughs> we're doing was, our best. I know. Anyways, and, um, and so, and all of a sudden I just kind of, and I think this is what happens when my brain's relaxed enough. I, I hear what I'm, I get a download is what I call it. Yeah. And, um, and it was like, make a self-care kit, you know, like very like make self-care kit. And I was just like, what does that mean? They're like, make self-care kit. And they're like, figure it out. And I was like, okay. So, um, I started like looking at, you know, there's Birchbox and all these kind of things, um, on the internet, like looking, I was like, not like that. I don't want to make a box of products, you know? I, and then I thought, what do you do best? And somehow I don't really remember how to like bring it all together, but I had, I had two to, I had, I had two years of content plus all the content from, um, from all my informed choices and things that I had had handed out to my clients and I could pull it together and started making this. So, idea it was in december by um by may we had the content all pulled together i my mom's um, office mate and good friend for who lived in brooklyn for decades um is an editor a medical editor so mm. a medical text editor so we would get together on the weekends and drink wine and edit and um and then i again to name the deck i pulled together a group of women and had a focus group and we got together, drank more alcohol. <laughs> like, not a lot, but you know, it's like get a little buzz and like start naming. And so then we named it little mother's helper to play on the Rolling Stones. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and then, uh, then we kickstarted it and that was it. And to me at that point too, I come to these pivots in my life where I'm like, if I don't see the progress happening in the business, I'm like, well, if it's, if, if it's not making me have joy and making me feel happy, then something has to change. And, um, so it was very exciting getting up to the place before Kickstarter. Um, but I didn't know if, if we didn't raise all the capital oh, for, yeah. cause for it, then what, you know, what was option B, you know? Um, so this was option A and once, so we got funded on Kickstarter and had an incredible time and it was, um, it wasn't what I dreamt or expected, but just to get funded and build this, it was like really the basis of the bowl. And and, and you're building that community right, right from huge, the start, huge. which, which you need for support in a situation yeah, like that. Totally. And you know, it was, I mean, it was, it was, it was stunning. It was a very cool opportunity. And I like that community will forever be in our hearts. And I feel like this product and this baby is theirs as much as mine. Yeah. And, um, and so then, um, one of the like so i launched kickstarter and i emailed out the hospital here in um minneapolis that has it in their health system and um because i had met with them i have a very great network and so i had met with them earlier in the year and i said look what happened because so when i had the idea for this i called or i wrote the woman an email and said hey would you meet with me i'm just very curious of like what you as a 
you know, like a very high level administrator at a women's health center and hospital would think of this product and would you ever buy it? Yeah. You know, and so we got together and I just like spewed my like excited entrepreneurial brain at her. And she was by the end of it, she was just like, when you get that done, let me know, you know? So eight months later I wow. emailed her and she wrote back. She's just like, she I thought it would away. take you a couple of years, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know? And I was like, no, not me. And, uh, she's like, great. Well, you know, let's talk about it. Let's make a deal. And so, but before we had the product printed and designed and ready to go, they had purchased 5,000 units for all the moms that give birth in their, I think they have like seven different locations. And, um, that was just a huge, like, that was a moment where I was like, holy shit balls. Like what just happened? <laughs> you know, cause I had had book companies come to me and like wanted publishes as a book and like, kind of like a, you know, like hey housey kind of deck of cards. And I was like, no, this is not, this is not an oovy groovy thing. This is, yeah. even though it, it contains, it, although it contains a lot of love from the universe, this is like, this is, this is something I want to impact women living here on this, in the right now on this planet yeah. in a way that they will think bigger, think differently, think more lovingly towards themselves. They'll have better self-esteem. They'll have more confidence and, and that will help them lead their family and then into the dip into their community and then help each other one by one by one yeah. by 10, by a hundred, by a thousand, by 10,000. And, and the ripple effect of, of that child's entire life. And, and this is the, the and, the, and we're at a point too, where I, I think and this was a big part of what I felt like my job started becoming, which I'm in a way a little frustrated with sometimes is that, Every, every, every mother that I, for the most part, anyway, the, the majority of mothers that I see have to get back to work in between six weeks and maybe 16 weeks, mm -hmm. something, something around that time, some six weeks, lucky, some of them, weeks. you know, because, lucky. because they're, they're, they, they, they get the maternity time off, but that doesn't I mean they're going to get paid. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's crucial that they get back. And they want to have the experience of, of breastfeeding a lot of times, or at least start to get their supply up enough so that they can pump at work and get home and feed their children. I mean, it's, it's, it's dreadful. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't believe what, what it's become. Mm -hmm. And it frustrates me because my role starts to feel like everything else in medicine, which is, let's see if we can speed this process up a little bit for them. Yeah. But the the process I'm really trying to speed up for them is the experience of having that time with their newborn. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's frustrating. It, it's sad. And like you said, I think devastating. I don't know if you actually said that, but that feels like it's, it's something it's, um, again, it goes to that play on grief, you know? Um, and then there's some women who really, um, do want to go back really early. To, you know, like they do yeah. want to go back and, and that's that, okay and that's too, the, whether it's the ladder they're climbing or whatever it is, yep. but you're like, there will always be, there's always this a conflict and no yeah. one, none, none of us can solve. That's every woman's individual journey and yeah. in, in her, what makes her feel like she has self-worth in her world. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, um, and, and so we can only be the people that give tidbits of information, resources, and help and a hug every now and again yeah. and say, you're doing really an incredible job. And I know you're exhausted right now, but you don't have to climb on Everest today yeah. or next month or the rest of the year. Just focus on staying home. I think that's what's really exciting about this perinatal, like post, like the, uh, or the prenatal or not, sorry, my brain, um, that, what am I thinking about? Newborn. I'm thinking yeah. about postnatal. 
Yeah, but I'm also thinking about pediatric. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like thinking about the mom in a pediatric mind, you know, mm, yeah. and that she is um, as newborn as totally. the baby is. Yeah. And and that her brain is being completely re-hardwired after giving birth, yeah. not only hormonally, but then also emotionally yeah. and everything else. And so um, if we can approach her at that point too and you know, and, and take care of her a little bit different and with maybe a louder voice. So, um, we can see those changes. So, so as far as the, I'm, I'm, I'm curious just to hear thoughts that you have being the thinker that you are with people, people who have approached you and, and thought that they wanted uh, you to make a book out of this or mm-hmm. something else. What, what are you thinking now in terms of the future of Little Mother's Help being, Helper in terms of resource and yeah. that kind of stuff? Do you have any yeah. anything you want to share? I mean, well, it's, it's big. <laughs> I'm like, sure it is. Yeah, That's why I it, wanted. Last year was, uh, so it was interesting to go from such a creative 2015 where it was a lot of writing, a lot of selling, a lot of marketing, really, and like uh, gathering the tribe, I yeah. guess you would say. And, um, and totally forgetting about my well-being in the process once again, like, which is my, um, which was my journey up until Mm -hmm. like recently where I was like, okay, mama's first. And then it comes the kids, you know, you've been preaching it for how long? Too fucking long. But it was just like mama's first. And, um, and, uh, so we, last year was great. And learning that we pitched, I pitched and pitched and pitched and pitched competitions and all sorts of different things. And to see the product go, or to see myself go from a clinician to building, it's not femtech yet because we totally haven't gone into, even though we do have an app, we haven't gone into what that platform can become, but we do fit in this realm of femtech, even though we're not making underwear or like whatever education. When I look at like, I start like uh, researching into all the ways, all the um, health programs and what it's out there. It is a core part of a resource that is provided by hospitals for people to be empowered in their healthcare. Right. So we want to develop products. Um, and mostly these decks of cards because it's the way the brain thinks right now. We have gone to microseconds, bite-sized information, and then also stuff that makes you laugh in serious times. So I have a lot of moms who my, my, most of my friends have 13 year olds, right? So they're all getting their periods. And, um, and I get text messages all the time. Like, how do I talk to my daughter? I'm like, you know how to talk to your daughter, but like, let's talk about this. So it's, it's, uh, it's really interesting because, uh, you know, the first, the first signs of a period or menses is coming on is the same as it was when you breastfed a baby girl for most moms will re- sort of remember that there's this like little pink thing, like a uh, fluid that comes out once her hormones come and milk comes in. Right. Yeah. And so, um, and that same thing sort of shows up if, if a mother's in tune with her daughter enough that yeah. they can communicate this kind of stuff, you know? So what it, it's, it's a great reminder for a mom to have a deck about a girl going through puberty about like, what are the signs of like seeing your daughter get her period? Like is it more than breast buds? Do you know yes, what I'm saying? Yes. Like, what are some of those like almost like infantile, like those cycles yeah. women. And I, I know boys do too, but because we have so much, we have that reproductive health, yeah. we go through all these cycles over and over. So it's like life, death, life, death, life, yeah. death over and over. So to build um, a platform of products from uh, uh, puberty to postmenopause is the goal. Um, right now we're working on postpartum. That was like what we say is we build inclusive technology and create connected communities to improve women's health. And 
um, we're, you know, asterisk (laughs) focusing relentlessly on the postpartum period. (laughs) So next we have already the content created for a pelvic floor deck, but we're just going to hammer that out and make it more universal. So work with, uh, pelvic floor therapists from all over the world, because it's definitely little mother's helpers definitely been, um, attractive to those people because it speaks their language. And it just, again, fills such a gap in postpartum healthcare that um, nobody has has yet, yeah. you know? And the hospital that it's in here at, out at Park Nicollet, like, they've come to me and said, you disrupted our system. Like, you've made us think differently. And, and I, I struggle with the word disruption because of what, yeah. it, it, like, how the healthcare world sees it as providers and stuff. But, um, you know, that's what, those were their words. You disrupted our system. And we are thinking this it's, year. It's, it's the catchphrase right now. It's the catchphrase, whatever. And, um, and, uh, and they are looking at how to, they're doing a, a QI project on how to change their postpartum health care. That's fantastic. And that's what they said. They're just like, you, you're doing it with a product, yep. like a little baby product. Right. Yeah. And so I'm like a lot of, I'm very proud of my daughter. Um, I, I, think, I, think, I think it's a girl. <laughs> Uh, I think I accidentally disrupted the the lactation world in New York. I had no idea. And you're a man. And I'm a man. And I'm the only and I'm the only man in the pediatric uh, lactation support world and in most places that I go now. I'm sure they miss you a Uh, lot. I'm sure they do. uh, But but it's you know I, I I think that it's it's one of those things that's like a happy accident that I think we both kind of got into, which which was. It's really just that our work led us to that point where yeah. we, you know, we couldn't help but get involved. Right. And, and that's the thing is I couldn't stand on the sidelines as a midwife anymore and watch women die more frequently here than they do in like, you know, countries in Africa and uh, and not do anything about it. Yeah. I, I And there's anyways, there's so many easy ways to make little tweaks that lead to big changes. But um, yeah, so the platform is there's, we have things thrown at us by companies every single day. Like recently Eileen Fisher was like, can you do an EAP program? And I started, I was like, yes, that'd be great. And then I was just like, oh my God, that's a big deal. You know, like, and I'm <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I'm like, oh my God, do we want to be that? Do we want to do this? So um, for now we're focusing on the creation of content products, adding to our app, you know, making it more um, and then an update of the platform. Those are at least, in the strategic plan for 2017. And, um, so we'll do, we'll just stick around the birth realm until it's complete. So preconception to pelvic floor therapy. Okay, that's good. Yeah. So bringing in a lot of the European models and, um, and just providing access. So, Cause you know what the, from where I stood within the medical education program here and system, they're not pushing it and you can't get enough information in six weeks of, obstetrical care. And I think they've most, most medical schools have cut OB, uh, the OB section down to four weeks mm-hmm. that used to be eight, or they made it eight weeks, one of the two, because there's so much to be seen, right? Cause you're doing all of the, it's OB and gyne, but really it's mostly gyne and a yeah. little bit of OB. Okay. And so, um, yeah. So, so I have, I have a question just, just came to me based on part, part of what my, you know, need to do on this, on this program is, is really to kind of get into belief systems around health, because I think, I feel like mine gets challenged all the time, which is why I had this idea, but it, it started developing the more I thought about how we do intake. And as I was trying to improve my intake and realizing that I wasn't getting enough information from people up front as to what they believed their healing process was going to look like. That's interesting. And so just, just with your experience so far, 
in working with this in and and different cultural populations in Minneapolis the newest cultural population is Somalis in uh, any in anything that you've learned from working with that population or working within the systems yeah, but the it's funny cuz it's so as we pitch a lot of and, and also the different hospitals um we talked to would say you know do you have a translation and i said uh. um we, I said, we don't yet because we don't have the translation team. But what was the buzzword when I was in midwifery school is cultural competency, right? Right. And so, um, and and that is when I think of translating a deck, I, and especially for a Somali population, I want to meet with a Somali group of women and yeah. say, what do you guys want from this? Like, do you like this? Da, 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 da. You know, so, and and what are some practices that you might, your your women might do for your, your community might do for you that we won't do at, you know, HCMC or anywhere else. And so, um, so I was pitching for this Minnesota cup here and um, I know my business and my product and my company, yeah, like, yeah. like every cell in my body and, and in front of 60 people that day, I like, I totally had my brain locked down. Yeah. I couldn't even talk straight. I couldn't get anything out. And from the back of this room and this woman has become a, we call each other, you know, like she's become a sister, um, was this beautiful Somali woman. And she's just like, Ooh, Ooh, like raising her hand. And like, yeah, yeah. she's just stunning. And she's just like, I bought, I bought little mother's helper for, you know, my friend when she had a baby and she, cause she lives in, she was in Qatar and she was away from home and she didn't have any friends and she had just had a newborn baby. And, um, and the woman worked for Park Nicollet and that's where she had learned about it. So she bought a deck for her friend. Anyways, that to me was very like a moment of, uh, and I, so we, we started meeting and talking and having brunch and stuff like that. And I said, what would be like, how does it fit within your culture and within yeah. your, well, your community and your women friends? And she's like, we love it. And there's nothing, you don't need to change anything except for, you know, like, and if you want to change things, let me help you. Yeah. And that to me is when we say build inclusive technologies, it's like we come together at a round table and we want to meet with people. We want to know what their practices are that are different than my practices or you know like we want to meet them and and we're okay to change things up enough to say not every woman has the same experience after having a baby yeah. and how do we care for that i mean so that's one it was a it was one way it it, it it kind of busted what everyone was saying to me. Like, you just have to translate the deck. You have to translate the deck. I was like, no, there needs to be something more. It has to be a human touch to it. Yeah. And, and remember that every culture is different in the way that we take care of women after having a baby. I don't think there should be ones that way. No, but in women's health, there, there is probably a standard going on there that we're not, we're not hitting very well with our health system, you know, practices, which you're, you're getting back from them already, right? Uh, which, there are just so many things that I think are being missed because, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to say this the, the nicest way possible, but a, a lot of it comes down to whether money can be made on testing yeah, and, what, totally. you know, and so with, there are certain things that I, I see just from women coming in to see me who I know there's some post, postpartum stuff going on. Sometimes I can see the, the effects of what's happening with thyroid. I, yeah. I just, I've worked with enough of it over time now that I know what, what goes on. Right. And, you know, I might lead somebody very early on. They're not coming to me for postpartum support no. per se, but I have now developed those networks very strongly in, in locations that I've worked in because I want to make sure that that I'm resourcing them that way too. I feel like it's very important. And I think these these systems 
would like to. Yeah. It's just a matter of maybe maybe they need they need to reach out a little bit more to people like us who are out there doing the work. Well, they do. And I think the other piece of that is is that like you know what stood out and then I, I continued to take the deck and I was uh it, to me I was immersed in more of a, a diverse culture and population last summer than I had been in a while because I spent a lot of time just like working from home or whatever it is and that's just like a thing that's not like me. But at the same point, so it was great to be able to take the card and like and show it to you know, again, a, a strong, a big Somali population that we have here in Minneapolis. And just to hear the praises from women, because what it says too, is that if I have a mental health issue and I feel a certain, like that's what the mind, the mind yeah. section of this deck has received such accolades that because it's the, it's the most straightforward, um, there's all sorts of little, you know, little feedbacks that we've received about just like it's helped women get care. And to like, that's all I want to do with this product is say, if you have this problem, here are your symptoms, go see a care provider. There's no shame. And if you have postpartum depression, you should not feel shame, but you should go get help. If you are feeling like you want to commit suicide, you should not have to feel that for very long. You should know that you can go get help. So Every psychiatrist, psychologist, any kind of mental health professional that deals with postpartum depression and postpartum maternal health has said to me, this has to be handed out by a hospital. The healthcare system is slow to adopt, you know, period. Like that's my biggest frustration. But what can I do about it other than hustle every day and say, you know, here's like find the most progressive hospitals that are really treating their people integratively and, and say, hey, we have a great product. It's second year at a hospital they just reordered. And so we have that proof that it's yeah. working and that they're going to keep buying it, yep. you know? And so maybe you should too. I didn't realize that that second year piece would be so important, <laughs> but it's been very important. Yeah. I get quick responses now yeah. that they repurchased, you know, yeah. like that has made everything bigger. Yeah. And I think, and I think that with social media and with some of these institutions also kind of creating their own social media stuff, that they're going to start, you know, talking about products like this, yeah. you know, and I, and I, and I really think part of the reason why I was excited to to talk to you in the first place is because I see this as being the future of, of care, you know, both I, I think in pediatrics and, and maternal care as a parent, I'm, I'm kind of looking for these things all the time, but as, as a resource to parents, I'm also thinking about, you know, what we're missing and, and, and why even, even why they're coming to see me. You know, I, I don't, I, I work in a little office <laughs> and they hear about me from, you know, from, from the networks that I'm connected to. And I, I feel like, you know, these resources are, are, are the, are the future in this way. And well, and just education, right? Education. It's just a- access to education. We know in public health that when you improve access to providers, improve access to education, that health outcomes improve period, the end, you know, and how cool for us to learn something. It's, it's so not modern. It is so old fashioned to say, how did you get through your mastitis? And, you know, but if you're a busy modern mother's mind or a busy modern father's mind, you can say, oh my God, there's this cool card. And it's like, where is it? It's like feeding your baby. Oh, you can do it this way. Or you can have boob issues here, take this and go and read it. And if you want more, just like follow this person, you know, and like get into the community or ask more questions. So what a friend of mine challenged me to do. And again, the publishing companies, this little is make a supplemental like book piece where I write a little bit more. So every day right now, I was not feeling very creative for a while. I was 
you know, like, I think that question of like, if you wake up and say to yourself, what do you want to do? Or do you like what you're doing today? And you say, no, (laughs) you need to like take a rest from it. And there was a point in February where I was really jazzed up. But when it came to the business there, I was kind of like, didn't want to be doing all the things that I was doing. And I needed, I didn't just needed a rest period. I needed to put like a pillowcase over my head for a while and run and, you know, like kind of be quiet and meditate and do stuff like that. And, and now the bounce back has happened. And um, and it's fun to spend time knowing that I have other products already developed and know that I can whip those out quickly. And I have the team. Yeah. It's just, it's just cool to know that it's around and that we will able, be able to fill the body of this out because this piece is, um, just look at women, what women are talking about on Instagram. Yeah. Like, like that's all I, that's sometimes what I do is just go through Instagram and read what they're saying. And I'm like, oh man, he's, you know, we dump you guys at six weeks postpartum and I am so sorry, but here is this, and this is the best I can do for a little thing and like, see how it fills your heart and hopefully it fills your body and your mind. The, the other part of this podcast is I want to, I'm exploring the idea of health, the concept of health that it's kind of lost some of its weight, I think, yeah. <laughs> because, because of what, what we've, what we've become as, as a medical professional sometimes is basically just putting out fires. But I, I'm, I'm more curious now into the idea of, of developing what a health improvement system would look like and, and getting some feedback on that. And just defining what health looks like to you. I know that's so funny. That's a good question. So what health looks like to me, um, man, it has been a wild journey (laughs) when it comes down to me finding my health system. Yeah. Um, I, I think I like that question because we, we do, that's where we connect as we think we see, we must see on a similar plane about Mm -hmm. what it is. So health to me is, um, real, real physiologic at this point where I just want to sleep through the night (laughs) and not wake up in the middle, like with worrying about something. And, um, so I have got to do that, but, um, to me it is learning how to, um, what are, what, what is an, like, I'll have to close my eyes on this one and just talk through this, um, developing a system of not only healthcare providers and I call them my, like my team members in my tribe and, um, and on the physiologic level. So on that physical body level and who are the people that are going to take you? Who's my dentist? Who's my acupuncturist? Who's, mm-hmm. who does my cupping? Who, who am I going to call for craniosacral mm-hmm. when my back locks up because I'm emotionally stuck or mm-hmm. whatever it is. And who am I going to call when somebody else I love dies and my emotional body just needs that like deep love. And where are the places that, um, I feel safe in, whether it's in nature, whether it's in my house, whether it's with my mom or my sister, or, you know, like family or my best friends. And so we underestimate the power of our physical bodies. And I, so I, for me, it's taken me 41 years to figure out what my health system is yeah. and then down to diet too. And like, what is, you know, I, I was the person who entered midwifery school after running my first um, handful of 50, like I probably ran three or four different races above 32 miles the summer before my, I went into midwifery school. I did a 50 mile race and I was clocking good time and I was just like insanely fit. You know, I um, had, I was insanely fit. I had no health problems. 
period. When I graduated midwifery school, I was 30 pounds heavier. I had, you know, a thyroid disorder. I had like was driving to my graduation and like a scream as loud as possible from the universe came as my dad was also dying from cancer. Just saying to me, if you don't stop right now, you will get like a chronic disease. And I was like, okay. (laughs) And I was like slammed. I didn't, didn't because I was driving to the birth center to get shit signed. But like, you know, I did, I slammed on the brakes and I was like, what do I got to do? You know? So, um, it took me eight years to get my health back and, um, and feel really strong and probably abnormally strong for some, somebody with my age, but that's what has happened with healthcare. We have yeah. and access to healthcare and health. I and, guess and, it's not just healthcare, yeah. but access to health information is that it's provided me to learn how to fine tune my own system. And so now that that body and then the emotional body kind of, it gets into place. And I said this earlier, and then I work on the spiritual body. So it's been fun to, um, I do that was that developing. That's my, that's my system is physical first, emotional second, then spiritual. And, um, and I have, uh, practiced, you know, and studied shamanism and energy work and stuff like that for a long time. And that's stuff I just don't talk a lot about, but it's, uh, very much a part of my everyday like meditation practices. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, as far as like routines go, I'm, I have been meditating now using the Headspace app for like the last almost, you know, year, more than a year, but yeah. I, I missed a day. So it's like, like at 303 days, <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, I am like on a 303 day streak and it's a miracle worker. What 15 days or 15 minutes of meditation does yeah. for uh, someone who had a panic attack that didn't know it was a panic attack and thought it was that I was just hypoglycemic from a long run. But really then when I said, what is this to my sister? She's like, that sounds like a panic attack. You know, when I was like in the process of yeah. developing this business and all that kind of stuff and, you know, just having like, uh, anxiety and all that kind of stuff. And, um, like I was talking to you about earlier, just, um, being really aware of what my thyroid's doing. So, and when it's getting out of whack and knowing my nervous system really well, I try to explain what that means to people. And, um, I think it's a little too high level thinking. And I think you maybe should have a show about that, but like to, to explain it better to yeah. the common person, because it's harder for me to explain that I know what my nervous system feels like. It's, it's, and you know, it is it, the thing that I, I think drew me to the nervous system when I, when I first started doing body work was I felt like everything I kind of came back to with people had to do with energy systems. And then the more I started studying the ner- nervous system, especially the autonomic nervous system and the sense of, of hormonal balance that, that each side of your, your parasympathetic, your, your resting, digesting, and your sympathetic, your fight or flight response, you know, bring up different, different parts in the mix. And as one goes up, the other goes down. So they have this little balancing act. It's like a teeter totter going on. And I, I, I try to explain it to that, that way to people sometimes so that they can understand which side of the teeter totter they're on. And, most people are running sympathetic. Yeah. You know, I mean, at least maybe, maybe just in our, in our fields, but well, it's, it's true. Maybe it is just in our fields. And I talk a lot about the parasympathetic and the, like, and really just eating as you know, I, I can use the word clean because everyone knows what that means now, but just as healthy as you can, but more, more so about like dumping the anti or the, the inflammatory stuff yeah. when you need knowing your body so well that, you know, when you're like, shit, I just need to take a break. Yeah. I need to take a break from, it for even five days, 10 yeah. days. And, and then, and then once those 10 days are over, just having the ability to step out of your body, like out of your body and look at yourself and say, okay, 
you feel grounded. You're, you know, like my acupuncturist the other day, he's like, your pulses are so balanced. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, like it's the stupid stuff for me that like, is like I high five myself cause I'm, I've been messed up physiologically. Well, and, and your pattern is not that uncommon that, that sort of like, like running, 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 running Yes. when you're, when you're younger and you have the energy and your recovery systems are better. And then there's a point and I see it with, you know, like you can almost, put, put a, you, you can almost put a date on it. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's, and it, it happens sooner for some people depending yeah. on, you know, what your, what your physiological state was earlier in your life. But I, th- I think a lot of people, you know, get, get to a certain point and they, and they don't realize that if they don't stop, they're going to cause themselves, you know, serious physiological problems because I think they're afraid if they stop and they slow down for too long of a period of time, they're never going to get that energy back. That's what I felt in February or in March. I was like, I I was terrified to stop, but all again, the universe not being subtle was like, rest, 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 you know, rest, rest. And I was like, screw it. Everyone's on spring break. I've got money in the bank. Like, this is good. We're good. Like we're all good. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And it was just like, I'm just gonna, I think, I think every <laughs> entrepreneur goes to ha- has this PTSD type of response, which is, you know, the, you, 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 is that my PTSD? You, it probably is. I mean, <laughs> you know, that's, it's, it's a recovery from this, yeah. this feeling that if, if you don't keep running, you know, everything's going to go away. And then, and then once everything is fine, you, you're still running. You don't know how to stop that. So yeah. it's a, it's a, it's common. And that's the nervous system. I mean, it, it does well in patterns yeah. so that the, the, the brain doesn't have to, you know, you know, think about this stuff too much or use energy or whatever it needs to do a process. It just stays in the pattern. And, mm-hmm. and this is what I see with chronic pain a lot of times too. It's, they just, the, the pattern is, is, you know, pretty locked in and we have to just keep breaking it over and over again with what, what I do is fairly subtle and, and low force, but there are lots of different ways to do it. We've, we've, we tend to lean now on, on pharmaceuticals when I was just reading a study about, I think it was in Japan uh, or actually it might be China that where they're, they're, they're not giving out any pharmaceuticals for, uh, depression or whatever, but they're, they're basically recommending to people to go for forest walks. That, I love you know, it. So that's, and the studies are, are, are showing now that they're, they're having better results going for walks in the, in the forests than they are on, on these medications. It's so. primary food. And I like it talking is. about that, that primary food where you need connection with people, you need spiritual health, you need physical health and you need to move your, you know, like in, you need it all. And, but really that connection and spirituality, those I would say right now, if, if I were to be anywhere in my, like what health is to me, it is, um, it is having a more of a deeper connection to my awareness and in, in letting that be okay. Yeah. I've, I, you know, got made fun of for a long time for being oovy groovy or woo woo or whatever I was. And I was just like, I just, this just, you have to understand my relatives are Cajun. I heard stuff when I was a kid, but like, you know, when I was, I studied, I did Reiki training or something when I was like 20 something, you know, and my aunt was a Cajun nun and she said to me, she's just like, you're the traitor of the family. I was like, Ooh, that's cool. What's that? You know? And, uh, and just, and, and then I did have, you know, my grandmother talked to me about things about being psychic and like, you know, just stuff that like it now seems cool, but like when in 94, it wasn't that cool, yeah. <laughs> you know? And so, and, and also when I, I have deep admiration, um, and, and, uh, towards what we do have for our healthcare system. Um, and because I think that's part of, 
I, I, I get frustrated, sure, certainly, and mad, and I do not like hearing that maternal health is a lost leader. But when it comes to the big picture of things, I want to have respect for it because if I have respect for it, I believe that I will be able to make a greater impact. I, in it. I, I, I feel the same way, and I, I don't want to downplay that because if we're, we're not for health systems, my daughter who had meningitis at 12 days old yeah. would not be around. Um, <clears throat> And and also just to, just to backtrack quickly, make sure that that what what I said about you know pharmaceuticals and and yeah. depression, like th- there's probably a better bridge than like saying you don't get pharmaceuticals and just go take a walk in the forest. But I I think the 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 point of that for me is that there are there are many ways in in which we we heal and we need to be a little bit more thoughtful about the, the uses of the things that we're you know we're prescribing for. For, for you know, trying to get people to be, become healthier. Well, people who are prescribing for mental health issues really need to be practitioners of mental health. Period. Yeah. The end. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, and people that are getting medication for anxiety and depression and whatever sleep, whatever it is, you, you also need to be accompanied by a therapist. And just not, it can't just be it. it and that's and this is a conversation I have with postnatal psychologists all the time is like, it has to be, there has to be, um, there has to be a helper, you know? And that helper is that person who has studied for eight years or four years to get that license to prescribe. So it's, um, uh, uh, the, the whole line of, uh, treatment for mental health is it's, it's highly (laughs) narcotic medication, isn't it? So anyways, they just need to be in the care of a qualified and trained provider and licensed provider, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for doing this. It was so great. Thank you for asking good questions. And uh, when maybe when Deck 2 comes out, we'll... Oh, we'll, yeah. We'll, we'll talk about the pelvic floor and keeping it jay. That's right. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So great talking to Rebecca. These are the types of conversations I, I hope to have more of on this show. The kinds of conversations I've had with many of the thoughtful people I've collaborated with over the past 20 years in my career, and I want to see this conversation of improving our many systems of health delivery in this country moved forward. We can clearly do a better job of maternal care and delivery. For a country with such high-level education and training of its health providers, we rank near the bottom of all developed nations. Our infant mortality rate is lower than 25 other countries in the world, lower than Hungary, Poland, over double the infant death rate of Czech Republic per capita. It's important work that people like Rebecca are doing because it's it's the awareness that creates change. Quality resources like hers make a difference for generations of families. Let me know what you thought of this conversation. If you have a guest you'd like me to have a conversation with, shoot me a message on the website, highwaytohealthpodcast.com. Be good to yourselves. Be kind to each other. Take care of your planet. Be well, my friends. If you enjoy podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Better with Dr. Erica, hosted by Dr. Erica, provides support and guidance in navigating stress-related challenges to transform your relationship to self-care. Each episode arms you with the tools needed to be better, do better, and live better. There was an incredible episode that you should check out called Touch and Connections as Tools for Healing and Better Mental Health. In this episode, her guest breaks down ways to use physical touch as a form of healing for trauma and grief. Check out Better with Dr. Erica on your favorite podcast platform 
or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.